Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome to XYZ, the podcast about CNC, automation, robotics, business, and more. My name is Aaron Goff, owner of Goff Custom Knives, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Frank, from the Frank Brothers Guitar Company. How are you, mate? I'm well. How are you, buddy? Going good. We're both sounding extra luscious today. Mm -hmm. You sound very silky. Ooh. Yes, Nick and I spent a little bit of money on new microphones, and we're making love to all of your ears now. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Sorry, everybody, for that. (laughs) What have you been up to this week, mate? Uh, uh, Well, I've been crushing it in production, gotta say. Yeah? Banging banging out a guitar a day in woodwork. And it feels good. Oh, amazing, man. Yeah, that's that's like as as good as we can do. With the... That's awesome. Sorry, I... With the team with we've the, got, that's just like, right. that's, that's running at uh, full tilt and we're like happy with that. Awesome. So what's your bottleneck now? Uh, it's assembly post finish routes. Like, mm. uh, you know, we, like we finish the guitars and then we put the, the humbucker or the whatever pickup and hardware routes in it. And I can do that pretty right. quick, but it takes me away from the other production stuff, but and then, you know, now we've got, now we've got like half of the plastics on the Haas. We still need to dial in the pick guards, but like the pickup rings are on the Haas and I was running some today and it's so good. Nice. That's awesome. Um, yeah. No so more, just a, uh, issues a, with losing vacuum and chucking them. No, no, that was sorted. It was such a simple, uh, fix. It was stupid that we were resisting it. It's just an, an op zero. Right. What did you do in the end? Oh, yes. Just, yes. You showed me that the other day. Op zero two, with little pins, right? Yeah. Just two. We just ran two pinholes, which, you know, we can run under vac. We can run that program under vacuum, just making two pinholes. That's not, there's not enough right. like lateral pressure or tool pressure to move the part with that little operation. Right. We, we just, we um, are delicate. Don't push it. And yeah, then just flip them and run the rest. That's of awesome. Yeah, so that feels pretty good. Nice, man. My our vacuum did die though. Oh no. Did you get another yeah. one already? Or? We did. So when we first started this project, we swapped vacuums with Mark. We had a little vacuum, like a five hundred dollar um quarter horsepower type thing. Uh and he gave us his like nice bush uh commercial grade vacuum was like 17 ps uh 17 cfm versus this one's like six or something anyways yeah the the nice bush one busted it was like 30 years old but like it would be it would be like a three thousand dollar vacuum um and so that next day after uh 
bit the dust. I drove out to Mark's place and grabbed the cheap little one back from him, borrowed it back, and it works fine. And it's fifty five deci- really. it's fifty five decibels. It's like you barely hear it. Right. But the other one was noisy. So um what was the failure mode with the other one? Like did it did it seize the motor or it overheated. We don't know what exactly was the problem. It's an oilless vacuum pump. So right. don't know. Haven't cracked it open yet. But uh Gotcha. It was like it happened when Mark was working here, like running some like some pickup route, uh pickup rings. Uh mm. and it just yeah. Just died. Did it launch <laughs> any parts? No. No, it died in between ops. Oh, that's good. Um Ooh, lucky. So now my debate is do I go out and buy like but do I buy a nice quality one or do I go because I need to give this one back to Mark. Um do I go buy this exact same one for 500 bucks or do I spend double yeah. and get the, the commercial grade version? Mm, and I haven't figured well, that out yet. You know what? Like the thing is like, you really don't need much flow. If you have good seal and everything, then you need very little flow, which is why, you know, Pearson work holding, they make their little vacuum generator. And I think that thing only moves like one CFM, yeah. you know, and that's what they sell to, to everybody for their vacuum work holding systems, right? Yes. Now it's our, we do have a kind of lossy system because we're vacuuming wood, which is porous. Uh, so when I, when I look at the gauge, if uh, when I'm, when we're doing plastic parts, we're getting like 27, uh, what is it? Um, something of inches of mercury, inches of mercury. Thank you. Uh, which is like as good as you can get that, um, and well with your shitty vacuum pump that's as good as you can get <laughs> but i think the best you can get in like ever is like not even 30 yeah you get 29 my my lab grade vacuum pump will go down to like 29 in a bit right so and you know we probably still have some loss you know, we're using push to connect fittings i don't know maybe there's some some leakage there um right and uh but when we do like a when we vacuum down a body we're we're sometimes at like 17, but it holds right. down. You, you cannot take that part off if you try. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, so um, in terms of oilless vacuum pumps, I think uh, Gast, Gast, G-A-S-T, um, in, I think they're in the States. They are kind of the, the gold standard. Um, I picked up one of their oilless rotary vein vacuum pumps. I think it's a third of a horsepower off Mm -hmm. ebay for i think i got it for like 120 bucks but that's like a 1200 hundred dollar vacuum pump new yeah you know yeah so the Um, one i got a quote for was from becker which is german mm. okay uh and that was kind of like the equivalent to bush but i haven't heard of gast i'm i'm on their website now i'm gonna i'm gonna look into it they make tons of little rotary vein pumps um yeah, and if they have something that'll achieve the level of vacuum you need, then, you know, the other thing is too, like eBay is actually a fantastic resource for that kind of stuff. Like um, you really don't want to use a lab grade oil, you know, oil bath pump because you're just going to be exhausting an oil mist all the time. Mm. But um, I have a labeled TriVac uh, D16E lab grade um, 
rotary vein vacuum pump. And that, that thing, as I said, will go all the way down to, I think it'll pull 10, 10 microns of vacuum, which is like, you know, way beyond 29 inches of mercury, basically. Hmm. Um, and I got that thing for 400 bucks. They're $6,000 US new. Ooh, wow. What a steal. Yeah. 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 So eBay's fantastic for stuff like that. Yeah. I did scope out some eBay um, listings, uh, but I haven't pulled the trigger because, I mean, Mark doesn't need this right now. So I'm like, oh, right. I'll hold off until he needs it. It's meant for vacuuming veneer, like in a, right. a vacuum bag. Like vacuum bagging. Yeah, yeah. Vacuum bagging. Um, it's from a place yeah, called well, veneer, I mean, veneersupplies.com. Okay. Um, the, yeah. I, so there is a company called Best Value Vax. Um, I've had, I bought a vacuum pump from them a while ago. I actually ended up giving it to a friend of mine because he, he had his one break last minute. Um, I don't know if they have oilless pumps, but they have a lot of oil bath pumps that are very inexpensive. Um, this is good. You should always thing. know someone with a backup vacuum pump. <laughs> yes, sure. Um, value um, brand, value brand, best value vax bvv.com. I think it's called. Um, wow, they must've had that URL forever. No, actually, they didn't used to have it. I think they must have spent some big cash on it. Uh, BVV.com does not take me to it. Oh, it's, uh, is that a not safe for work website? <laughs> no. Well, I'm not sure what it is. Well, you can you can Google best value vax yourself then. Um, yeah, I mean, so I guess it's just the flow that you potentially require that's keeping you away from using like a... Um, a venturi vacuum pump like one that uses exactly yeah yeah we we have a lossy system so also venturis are um really loud just reading on yeah, the master on the, have the yeah the the decibel ratings are about as high as uh you know rotary vein yeah i've got a little one you could borrow if you want to try it out okay um and yeah it's not that loud like you wouldn't hear it over your machine Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. You know, I was researching the difference between Venturi and um, rotary vane or whatever, just a pump. And yeah. it does like I thought the idea of of uh, the Venturi made so much sense for us in terms of because we have a nice big compressor. But yeah, you know, like our seven and a half horsepower compressor is going to have to turn on every time to generate that vacuum. Now it's not drawing a lot of CFM, but a you know one third uh, horsepower um, vacuum pump is probably using less energy. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, honestly, like the biggest advantage to the Venturi pumps is that they have like no moving parts. You know, they mm -hmm. can ingest coolant or dust chips or you know whatever, and they'll just blow it out rather right. than getting like you know broken by that contamination. So. No, it's a good point. Yeah. Um, so you need like a filter on on a pump, especially in our environment. Yes. Did you have one on the other one that you broke? Yeah. <laughs> you had a filter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Air filter. Now we didn't have a filter from what from the vacuum side, so it's possible it could have sucked chips or dust in from through the vacuum. Uh. Yeah, that's the important side to have a vacuum on. 
uh, filter on. Right. <laughs> so we were just being trying to be real careful. <laughs> but right. it, the air draw from, you know, like just it, it, it had a, it had a filter somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> well, McMaster sell these really nice little um, NPT input output cartridge filters for like vacuum work holding and vacuum bagging applications. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I have one that I don't use, which I could probably just gift you if you really need it. Okay. Well, I'm learning a lot. I, when we started this, you know, I was like, we just had va- a vacuum, so I didn't need to think too much about it. Now that I need to like buy a vacuum, right. I'm I'm starting to learn my shit. Uh, yeah, that's fair. We need to drop like one thousand to fifteen hundred bucks US. Because I, I, the other thing yeah. I've been looking into yeah. getting is that that Pearson Vac Alert that you can hook up to your your um, like we can hook it up to the Haas uh, controller. Right, and, and it'll, it'll throw an alarm if you lose vacuum. Right. Yeah, in a fraction of a second, you can set the vacuum the the like inches of mercury too. You can set it to like, you know, say, hmm. you know, because we have a lossy system, we're not going to be holding 26 all day. Um, maybe right. we set it to 17. And if it goes below 17, it'll, it'll hold, stop the machine. Cause we had a power outage here and it, we lost vacuum, but the spindle was spinning. It spun for like 10 minutes. Right. Um, right. And because we lost vacuum, it, the part lifted up like i don't know 15 thou into the spindle the mm. spin, spindle at the end mill right uh so it's just like left a little low part it wasn't in a critical area so it was fine but i don't want that Lucky. happening yeah yeah that's fair so that's what's been up with uh with us uh what are you what have you been saying uh, not too much, man. I'm just kind of um, trying to get caught up still, just cranking through. I've been doing a lot of the glow-in-the-dark stuff. Um, and that, honestly, it's just been super painful. Like, mm. you know, I started with the pressure pot for casting them, and that didn't work. And then I moved over to the vacuum degassing, and that works, but it takes longer. And then the supplier that I buy the, like, translucent G10 from for making these you know, handle scales, mm-hmm. they just haven't had any of that material in, like, two months. Ah, fuck. Um, yeah, so thankfully I found a, funnily enough, McMaster sells, <laughs> I know they sell G10, but it's actually kind of a pain to get this particular color. It's like a translucent green. So it's like one of the natural kind of colors that G10 comes in. Hmm. But, you know, a lot of companies kind of seem to add colorants and stuff. They don't, they don't quite leave it natural. Mm-hmm. So I had to like, buy i think i bought like four or five different you know g10 samples off mcmaster that said they were green until i found the one that's actually like you know natural fiberglass and epoxy color you know it's translucent and um, so is that work working for you it looks great Sick. yeah looks okay. great. well if you can buy it from mcmaster um, so then you're i'm sure you're yeah, happy exactly gotta love it yeah so i'm back up and running with that um made a bunch of those today when they came out awesome which is fantastic sweet um i did have some fun the other day doing machining of the glow in the dark handle scales in in the dark like I oh yeah all the lights um because the the glow in the dark material actually will start glowing from heat as well no way like if you pass a blowtorch over it it'll glow yeah so wherever the end mill is cutting it 
the you know it's heating up the glow in the dark material and it, it glows so it's throwing off these awesome like glowing chips oh that's so um, cool did you video that can you? i did yeah i okay. i spent i spent some time i i have a really um a couple of really nice old school manual lenses that can uh, be adapted onto my camera and one of them is like a really really fast lens that pulls in a lot of light sick so yeah i can take like photos and video with that in like almost you know pitch black so yeah i was able to get some wicked looking footage of that so i'm i'm gonna do um i'm gonna do a video that shows like the whole process start to finish and that's definitely gonna be in there so sec um well we yeah. we are wrapping up the glow in the dark side dot guitar oh sweet that you helped out with how'd it turn out awesome i mean the color match is pretty fucking good so because we we yeah. I, I um mixed the uh, like a pigment with your glow in the dark powder i uh, got yeah. it from the supplier As you I recommended you mm-hmm. and i'm trying to give you credit i mean only in this <laughs> only give me in more this, credit uh only in this forum and everywhere else i'll be taking the credit myself um but uh yeah so i mixed in a certain amount of blue and i color matched to the color sample he gave us and then tim had to shoot the color uh to to match the color sample he gave us too so we kind of did it independently so it was more important that the the guitar actual guitar color be really dialed into the color sample that we were given yeah sure the dots so are very he, small it's kind of hard to tell yeah so he didn't you know use those as a reference but they did end, right. end up looking pretty similar pretty close cool and they glow beautifully yeah man yeah so like nick's one of the what, what nick's is saying basically is that the glow in the dark powder that i use is kind of a very pale green to to white in daylight and most people use it and just leave it like that but i've actually been adding like a pigment to it so i can adjust the daylight color and so nick did the same thing but rather than adding the like the the kind of bright neon green like i do he actually added it was like a duck egg blue right like it was a really it was a it was a greenish blue yeah i don't know it's it's called faded pelham is what we what we're going for um or aged pelham but yeah, it was like a, a bluish green. And the fact that it was already green actually helped me. Yeah. Because it, it lent that green. Yeah, and it's tone. super cool. It's super cool having something that glows in the dark and has a really nice daylight color. That's kind of unusual. So Yeah, you would never guess the stuff. I mean, you know what? That's not true. Like they the the, the supplier that makes this for guitars, like they make a side dot, has a yeah, has a blue, but it's it's a little bit more electric, I'd say. This is this yeah, looks yeah. a little bit, you know, you wouldn't really suspect it to, to be a, um, a glow in the dark glow material in the dark thing, right? But yeah, I mean, maybe I'm I'm too close to it because <laughs> to me it looks completely different than their blue. But it, right. it's um, similar to the way they did it. I actually piped it into a black tube, so uh, it's got a black ring around the. the uh, glow in the dark blue and then it's in that's inlaid into a white bound fretboard very cool yeah i'm happy with yeah, it man, it's it's cool stuff there's something about glow like the really bright glow in the dark that just i don't know it makes you feel like a kid again you're like oh that's amazing yeah sick it's like it's like how does that work why yeah it, it's kind of yeah. makes you magic wonder. yeah yeah 
Yeah, very cool. It's like magnets, man. How do magnets um, work? How do they even? Uh, yeah, so I, uh, one thing we should get to is that I left you guys on a cliffhanger last week when I said I had been talking to machine reps. Ooh. Um, however, what I should say is I've been trying to talk to machine reps. <laughs> <laughs> so next still time a bit of a chat about this afterwards. Yeah, still nothing. So I contacted Doosan. You know, I filled out one of their contact forms online. And then, you know, I waited for the local Doosan rep to get a hold of me. And one of their guys called me two days after that. And I was like, oh, you know, we had, had a bit of a chat. Nice, great. He's like, oh, I'll send you all the, the information. And I'm like, thank you, great. I'm looking forward to it. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And then like a week later, I get a call from like the, the Doosan rep, like their local rep's owner. And he is talking to me like they've never talked to me before. And then he's like, oh, I'll get you in touch with the rep in your area. And I'm like, oh, okay. I thought I'd already, uh, you know, okay, fine. <laughs> and then nothing. You know, so it's been this really weird, like, mix of kind of reasonably responsive contact and then, like, zero follow-up, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is a bit of a shame because they, Doosan just launched a new machine called the BVM 5700, if memory serves, right? And it's basically, like, their version of the Okuma Genos M560V, you know, so it's a double-column mill um, with a, a stationary tool changer off to the side and, like, a big plus spindle and... It looks like a beast. It looks like a real beast. But my understanding is that it's substantially less expensive than the Okuma, and they have introductory pricing on it at the moment. Right. That would um, be sweet to take advantage of that. I wonder what substantially less expensive yeah. is, though. Like $20,000? I have no idea because they didn't follow up with me. <laughs> God, that's so annoying. I want to know a fucking price. That's what everybody yeah, wants seriously. to know. And I, I, everyone hates that machine tool builders don't list their pricing. Except for, uh, you know, a few, I get it, but yeah. you just don't, you just want to know, right? Cause just then, that way you can well, dream. And then when that dream becomes a little closer to reality, it gives you something to work towards. Yeah. You have, you know, it really helps to have a, a number in mind for sure. So yeah, that, that's been a bit painful. And especially in comparison with Haas, you know, when, when I reached out to Haas, they like had a rep in my shop, like the next day, you know, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a little bit painful in comparison. Um, I do sound also has another machine, which I'm interested in called the SVM 4100, um, which is again, another new machine and that's designed to, it basically competes with the Haas VF2, you know, so I think it's a 30 by 16, um, you know, category machine, except it's like really fast. It's designed for like. You know, it, it it has a lot of stuff that the um, VF2 would be would be like an option on the VF2, right? Um, so I'm just like pulling it up now. Yeah, f- fourteen hundred inches a minute rapids, point uh, six G acceleration on all the axes, seven hundred and eight uh, inches a minute cutting speed. Um, it comes with a thirty tool side mount uh, tool changer as standard. And it's a Cat 40 dual contact spindle, 12,000 RPM, direct drive, standard. So it's more like their um, SS, a like a, a VF2 SS. I guess so, yeah. But it works out to be less expensive. It's, oh, really? Um, 70, yeah, 74K US. So how'd you get a price for this? Um, so for some reason, they list the price for this one on their website, but oh. no, they don't list prices for anything else. 
And so, to, sorry, give us the model weird. number again. That's a SVM forty one hundred. SVM forty one hundred. Yeah. So it's a nice looking little machine. Mm-hmm. Now that being said, you know, so I've talked to you for years about how I really wanted to get the finishes off my machine good enough that I didn't have to do as much hand sanding because hand sanding is kind of like ruining my body. Like my, literally my right arm is like in constant pain now from all the hand sanding I've done. Is it jacked um, though? It's no, no, it's not. It's probably <laughs> getting wimpier than the other one. Um, and I've actually gotten really close to that in the last couple of weeks. It turns out that um, Fusion has this setting that they don't really talk about much when you're setting, when you're creating toolpaths. They just call it tolerance. And I always assumed, you know, we think of tolerance as like, oh, machinist tolerance, you know, plus, minus, thousandth, whatever. But I did some digging on that. And it turns out that when Fusion is making toolpaths, you would think that it's like making the toolpath directly on the solid model, right? Following the curves of the solid model. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. But that's not what's happening. It's actually making a mesh. So kind of like you would with an STL. It's making like a, a... polygon mesh of the model first and then it's creating the toolpaths from the mesh and that tolerance setting actually uh, controls the maximum allowable error between the mesh and the solid model so previously i had that set to like a ten thousandth of an inch and i always thought that'd be okay you know and it turns out it's really really not you know so i have that setting i i recently changed it so that that setting is um one hundredth of a micron and all of a sudden i'm seeing better surface finishes yeah you sent me um, photo and the surface looks great yeah 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 so it, it's kind of i'm gonna do a video on this too because it's a really non-intuitive non you know intuitive setting like you wouldn't think that you would have to go that tight in order to get a good result but it just kind of stacks up in an, in an unfavorable way if you don't go really tight, you know? So mm-hmm. that's been super interesting. And it kind of means that maybe I don't need a new machine, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you had that plus a new machine, I just like new shiny things. So, but yeah, who doesn't? Well, I mean, I, I've talked to you about this offline a little bit, but um, there's a company called CalMotion that make a replacement um, controller for the Fidals and it's literally cards so you know you have the kind of control cards in the cage in the back cabinet on the Fidal you just pull three of those out put the new ones in attach a couple of little cables and then you're up and running it's like literally a five minute installation mm-hmm. um, it's about seven grand uh, sorry six grand US and then there's a core charge if you don't send them your cards um, and for my machine, that would double the resolution that the control has on each axis. Um, and it does like full acceleration and deceleration control, which the original Fidal control does not do. Um, and it enables like, you know, gigs of uh, storage for for programs. Mm-hmm. Um, increases the... So the Fidel control can only handle 250 lines a second of code. The replacement control can handle 6,000 lines of code a second. It's it's a pretty substantial upgrade. Um, Kind of. It has the acceleration and deceleration. So it basically like looks ahead to the next, you know, move or two, works out whether or not it needs to 
accelerate or decelerate, hmm. um, which the original Fidel control does not do. Either. Which could so help your surface finish. It might be that it, it might shake a little, like as they as it rams into that the oh, end of the line. It does. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. So what the Fidel, uh, the original control does, it basically just tries to change direction instantaneously, and then it knows that while it's doing that, the servo is going to like, you know, have a follow what they call a following error. So, you know, it's trying to keep to a certain position, but it can't. So it falls behind and it basically just lets the servos fall behind up to a certain amount, you know, which might be half a thou or, you know, four tenths or, or whatever. Um, yeah. Whereas this control does that to a much lesser extent. It's like, Oh, I I see that I'm trying to make a 180 degree change in direction, so I'll slow down to five inches a minute and then reverse direction. Right. Um. So yeah, it might be that you know I just need that little bit of an extra bump. That plus the the tolerance tie to tolerance settings in Fusion 360. You know, uh, you know, as, as we've said before, like six grand once off is so much nicer than. Mm-hmm you know, a $2,000 a month machine payment for the next five years or whatever. Yeah. That sounds like a no brainer. Yeah. So I'm, I'm right now, I'm not going to be doing that this year because I'm, I need to kind of keep my numbers up for this year for the bank so that I can get a mortgage next year, which is stupid, but I know it's stupid. You got to play the game though. So yeah, start of next year. I'll be looking into that though for sure. Yeah. That's huge. Um, sweet. Um, yeah. And also we had a great feedback from one of our listeners after lo- uh, the last episode. So Proteum machining, I remember last episode I was talking about the power grip system. It's that super fancy collet with the hydraulic. Regofix. Um, Is that the same thing? Yeah, it's no, uh, I think it's made by Regofix. Mm-hmm. It's called power grip. Anyway, yeah. anyway, um, the machine, the, or the tooling rep that came in, it came to my shop to tell me about that said it was like 30k to get into it and protein machining says that like that that price is way off he said he, you can get a set with like 10 holders and the, the hand pumped hydraulic unit for like 6k so oh. either the rep misspoke or was thinking of a different system or whatever so if anyone's interested in that system and was discouraged by the last episode that's an update for you yeah my my uh y- U.S. to can- Canadian conversion isn't that good, but I don't think that <laughs> six to thirty <laughs> is, is it. <laughs> I wish I wish it worked that way. <laughs> Got to keep out U.S. dollar prices. You know? True. Uh, well, that's exciting because that's a pretty wicked looking system. Yeah, yeah. There's like no slits or anything in the collets for for like crap to get into. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's basically like taking two tapered solid pieces of steel and smushing them together so hard that they deform and, and hold the tool, mm-hmm. which is pretty. Yeah, nice. I've, I've played with one. It's pretty kick ass. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mark has has Ooh. that uh, has one. He bought it on eBay for really cheap. And uh, oh, nice. He was going to he was he was saving up to buy a, a CNC that had i think i forget what the tool holder size was it was with these little guys um bt30 or yeah, iso 20 or something it was yeah iso 20 maybe yeah i don't know i can't remember so okay uh anyways he i i i tried it with uh 
you know, his little hand pump thing. That's fun. It's cool. Um, right. big, big Kaiser has some, like, I was checking out their website. They also have some interesting tool holding options um, that look like they, they aren't just a standard call it with slits. They might not um, right. allow chips or dust or debris in. But I've heard their stuff is expensive. Right. Honestly, between the, like, you know, my masking tape hack where I'm, like, literally hole punching a hole into some masking tape and then covering the face of the collet with that and um, using bearing nuts, you know. So the the reason the bearing nuts are interesting is because they don't, if there's any contamination, they don't scrape it against the front of the collet. Right, because you know, that the, thing the, spins That contact face is allowed to rotate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. The, Between um, those two things, it's yeah, you're made a big difference. I don't seem to be scarring collets up. Well, if you can do it cheap, that that's the best way to do it for now. Yeah, the big Kaiser stuff was called mega yeah. mega double power chucks, mega perfect grip, Ooh. high power milling chucks. They've got all these options, um, and they just <laughs> they they kind of look like the uh, like hydraulic, like the Mary tool one. Uh, I don't actually know right. how how they work, but anyways, something to look into. Um, yeah, protein machining was saying I should be looking at the Uber Chuck as well, Uber which Chuck. is um, yeah, it's a cool system. It has like a a worm a worm gear that's uh, kind of like the hydraulic tool holders. You know, there's like an external kind of hex drive that has like a worm um, gear on the inside, and then there's like a a ring gear that uh, pulls has like a threaded thing that pulls the collet in from the back of the of the collet. Oh, um, and the collets do have slits in them, but they're really small. They're like a wire EDM kind of slit, you know, not like the the kind of saw cut slits that you see on like an ER collet, right? Um, and yeah, they look really interesting, actually. Uh, if the price is okay, I'd be willing to try those out. This is a Royal product, like the same people that make like the Royal. Uh, I think there's, I think they're sold by a few people. Okay, um, but yeah, if you, if you look up Uber. Uber Chuck. How many how many umlauts in that? <laughs> uh, unlimited umlauts. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, it just seems there's only one. What a shame. Um, yeah, that sounds cool. I've heard that. I've heard of that once before. I mean, you get a lot of other Uber stuff going on here. Uber Eats. Uh, I'll have to look <laughs> into that more. Um, yeah. You've got a hard out soon, so there's something I want to get to. We've got some space news that we should get to. Space. Cool. Space news. So one interesting thing happened this week, which I really wasn't expecting to see. Uh, Russia tested an anti-satellite weapon. Wow. Uh, blew up one of their old satellites. Shut uh, up. But turns out they didn't really check where the International Space Station was going because the debris cloud that they created... Uh, bisects the orbit of the ISS. So the ISS astronauts have been like in their emergency shelters for the last couple of days. Holy shit. You know, it's like that, one of these... that movie Gravity. Yeah, exactly. Because like when up there, you know, there's no air or anything to slow stuff down. So you've got all this debris, you know, going around the, the planet, like, you know, Mach 10 or whatever, like uh, an incredible velocity so like you know a, a little bolt or something is like 10 times more energy than a bullet you know so you don't want to get tagged by anything and yeah for some reason russia thought it 
was totally fine to like fill a whole orbital lane with bits of debris. How will it ever stop spinning at that speed? Yeah, there, you know, there are um, stray gas molecules and, and stuff up there that, you know, they will interact with the Earth's magnetic field very weakly. There are forces that will eventually slow them down. Um, and that happens to like the ISS as well. You know, every, I don't know how often they have to do this, like at least once a year or something, they have to do what's called a, an orbit raising burn. So they actually kind of speed themselves back up, put themselves back up into a higher orbit. Um, and anything that isn't actively doing that will eventually fall back into the Earth's atmosphere. But depending on the height of the orbit, it can take years, potentially decades. Damn. Uh, well, in yeah, the meantime, so, I hope they're being safe up there. Yeah, me too. Can you imagine like, you know, regular day at work and then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, you could have a cloud of bullets coming through your office any any moment. Maybe <laughs> well, right under your desk. Quite call it, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Cloud of bullets. That's that's what it should be called. That's cool. That's a good band name. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is a good band name. So, yes, hopefully they stay safe. I haven't heard any terrible news in the last day or two, so I, I think things are still fine. But, yeah, it was a bit bit touchy there for a minute. So what did they? how did they blow this thing up? With, like, a laser beam or something? No, it's be- basically like a, um, a super-fast missile that's, like, launched from the ground. Yeah. It's almost disappointing. A, a big-ass... Should be a laser beam. Well, so the old-school... The, the new school way of doing it is that the missiles are super accurate, you know, so they can launch this missile and use like a regular explosion and, and, and take it out, you know. Um, but back in the day, like the 80s or whatever, when they first started making anti-satellite weapons, they didn't have that level of precision with the guidance. So the answer was to use a really big bomb so that the original anti-satellite weapons were all nuclear tipped. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. So but, this is, uh, you know, it's better, I guess. Safety first. Safety first. Although yeah, apparently not. <laughs> so, okay. Speaking of safety first, I think the coolest space thing, this this is the thing I'm really excited about talking, talking about. Um, there's a company called Spin Launch that just, uh, I think it was a week, a week ago, had their subscale demonstrator test, which went was successful. So Spin Launch... Their, their like motto should be yeeting things into space. What does that mean? <laughs> like launching, just chucking stuff into space. Oh. You know, because they, they are literally, what they're doing is, did you ever do like shot, shot put or discus when you're in like high school? No. No. Okay. So you basically like hold a big metal ball and you spin around. And then once you've done a couple of spins, you let it go and launch it. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what they're doing, but they're launching shit into space. Whoa, that's fucked up. Yeah, so they have this this giant building that looks like a snail. Um, and inside there, there's a big arm attached to a motor. And on the end of the arm is their little spaceship. You know, so they're not launching big stuff. They're launching like little cube satellites and that kind of stuff, you know, a couple of feet on a side, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now they're not actually launching anything. They're still in the development phase, but, uh, well, sorry, they're not actually launching anything to space. They did launch their first thing to suborbital, um, altitudes, but 
the next step is to build a bigger version of this machine and launch stuff into space. So they have this arm that they slowly spin up, you know, over the course of hours, they spin it faster and faster and faster. Um, and on the end of the arm is their little spaceship looking thing. It looks basically like a big bullet. And then, you know, this big building looks like a snail and the kind of the head of the snail is a chimney that points, you know, straight up into the sky. And they just, at the exact right moment, they just let go of their, you know, little spaceship bullet thing. That's unreal. And it zips right out the chimney and goes, you know, into space. Um, yeah, the the engineering involved in this thing is, it's super cool because a oh, lot it goes of straight up goes into rockets. That's fucked up. Pardon? It goes straight up. Yeah, just just goes. Whoop. So when it left, so the whole the whole snail building thing where the arm and everything is is actually in a vacuum, like a really pure vacuum, because otherwise at those speeds, you'd be just building heat and building heat from all the, the friction of the air. So then over the little chimney, they basically have like a plastic sheet to keep the vacuum in. And then they just chuck the, you know, the bullet slash spaceship through this plastic sheet right. into the air and up into, into orbit. But even their subscale demonstrator, it was, you know, when it went through the plastic sheet and left the chimney, it's already doing greater than the speed of sound like it's super super fast this is a oh look Um, i see the photo of it breaking through the plastic yeah yeah so everybody i'm gonna put the the uh link to this in the show notes but if you just look up spin launch on youtube great name um, there's a great video by yeah right it's very it gets the point across straight away um there's a great video by video by um uh, a space commentator named uh, Scott Manley just kind of covering the whole thing. But I just love the idea that you're just going to like whip, whip stuff into space. Yeah. Why the hell not? So you don't need um, rocket fuel. You do need a little bit. They have um, uh, like a, a second stage, like a kick stage. Okay. Um, because, but basically like 90% of the fuel that you use, or maybe not 90%, but it's a pretty high percentage of the fuel that you use is just, you know, in the first couple of kilometers in the air, trying to, you know, get that speed up from, you know, trying to get your rocket up into space. So to just like chuck it up there instead, you need so much less fuel. You can just have a tiny little rocket, get the the last little bit of momentum you need to get into orbit. Could you ever chuck a person into space this way? (laughs) Okay. So when you're spinning around and around in the, um, the little vacuum chamber, whatever they're launching at full scale will experience 10,000 G's. So no, <laughs> you would crush I mean, your body. You could, but there, it, it would straight up liquefy you. It would liquefy your bones. It, you know, <laughs> like you could launch a, a person into space this way, but uh, they're not <laughs> coming back. <laughs> right. So they won't be test test uh, launching a monkey into space, I imagine. They know this. They know it's uh, no. Okay. No. Not unless you want a monkey pancake. <laughs> I'm good. But yeah, I just I love, you know, there's been lots and lots of talk about this for you know, many many years. Ever since World War II, basically people like there was a project in the states where they were like, can we just make a really big gun and shoot stuff into space? Right. And the answer is maybe they they tried. They got like, you know, pretty far into this process. But 
I think I, I don't know why that project was canceled. I think maybe it was a funding issue or you know something. But yeah, like these guys are actually doing it, which is awesome. I love that there's you know other very creative approaches to getting stuff into space. It looks great. Yeah. Well, honestly, it's funny. Like, um, so Scott Manley in his video, he actually noted that one of the most awesome uses for this is actually not on Earth. So imagine if we have like a mining um, station on Mars or mm-hmm. uh, sorry, not on Mars, on the moon. And we're, you know, mining valuable stuff, lithium or whatever, rather than having to use a rocket to send that stuff back to Earth. You could just literally chuck it from the moon back right. to Earth. And we'll do that, the um, fact that it's zero gravity, is it already a vacuum? Like It's already a vacuum on the moon. It's not zero gravity, but it's much lower gravity right, right. than on Earth. So the machinery wouldn't need to be as extreme. Right. Ah. Um, yeah. So, th- I mean, that could be a really cheap way to get stuff from the moon back to Earth and make lunar mining more feasible. Well, and if it doesn't work out for them, they should they could just make the smaller and turn it into a really cool kids toy. <laughs> I want one. Oh, oh yeah, I definitely want one. I want to <laughs> spin launch a drone into just the sky. I guess that's not necessary. Yeah, <laughs> you want to just spin launch everything. Apples. Yeah, you know, like I'm sure you could make some interesting food by uh, spin launching it onto a hot plate. Well, if you're going to do 10 G's, you could make a pancake out of something. <laughs> Actually, speaking of that, if you want to see uh, a gratuitous but very fun video on YouTube, there's a channel called Smarter Every Day. And he recently made a cannon that launches baseballs at a thousand miles an hour. Oh, cool. Because um, why not? That sounds dangerous. And uh, he asked his viewers what he should be shooting. And they one of them told him to shoot a gallon of mayonnaise. So if you want to see a thousand mile an hour baseball hit a gallon of mayonnaise, yeah, check out Smarter Every Day on YouTube. That is a <laughs> hilarious video. Uh, and on uh, that note, I think you've got to go, don't you, Nick? Yeah, I do. I got to go. You've got to go like a thousand mile an hour baseball. I wish I could get spin launched home. I got to take the streetcar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your family, your family would receive a liquid. <laughs> Uh, so yeah. maybe that's a bad idea. I'll stick with the streetcar. <laughs> yeah, slower but safer. Mm-hmm. All right, everyone. Well, yeah, I I just I love that. So go, everyone, go look at the spin launch thing and yeah, tell us what you think of it. I think it's awesome. Uh, just the engineering and like they had to m- machine this giant rotor and this giant make this giant vacuum chamber. Oh and yeah, I bet there's whip stuff into space. You know, cool. like, yeah, but there's some really cool parts being machined. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I love the so graphics. Check it out. It seems, Tell us what you think. It seems unfathomable like that they could release this at the exact right minute. Second. Millisecond. Millisecond. Yeah. Because they yeah, get, if something goes wrong, they're basically just launching a big bomb bullet through yeah. their super expensive housing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Very cool. Well, have a good night, man. And uh, everybody, we will see you again in two weeks. All right. Talking to you all and speak to you again soon. Cheers.
Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big. 